0: On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, the season is half over and there's been some defensive improvements. Plus, the Pacers dealt for all-star forward Pascal Siakam. Tyrese Halliburton returns and then sits again and has been voted in as an all-star starter for the first time. And CEO Rick Fusen announced his retirement.
1: I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following, you know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world.
0: And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Hello again, everybody. Good to be back with you, and a lot to discuss regarding this Indiana Pacers team. It's like, where do you start from a trade to look ahead to All-Stars, to their recent road trip, and the highs and lows that went with that. But on this podcast, I think I'm going to start with the most recent, and that was Thursday night, as Tyrese Halliburton didn't suit up for the Pacers in their win against Philadelphia, but he was there, and during the first time out on the giant video board above, they played the TNT video, where the crew announced that he was an all-star starter for the first time. A starter, not just in the game, like last year because he was voted in by the head coaches. This one means more because you're one of the top players in the league. He was the top vote-getter among Eastern Conference guards. And and do as part of that, he becomes just the fourth player in franchise history to be an All-Star starter. The names should be automatic and come to mind very quickly when it comes to NBA All-Stars for the Pacers. You know them really by either their first name or a nickname or whatever. Reggie, J.O. Jermaine O'Neal, and P.G. Paul George... And so Tyrese, right here in Indianapolis, will be the first All-Star starter for the team since 2016. Yeah, it's been quite a while. And I think the other thing that is really special about it is that he was the top vote-getter in the Eastern Conference among guards in all three categories. Fan vote, that's 50% of the vote. By the players, that's 25% of the vote. And so is media. That's also 25%. He was number one among East Guards for each of those categories. Nailed it. Like, w- what a season he has had. And also, I think that's a good reflection of what is potentially to come with the All-NBA balloting. And that one obviously means more, especially to him this season. Because if he is named to an All-NBA team, then his contract balloons from about $207 million over the next five years. That's 25% of the cap, but the team agreed that if he was named to one of the three all-NBA teams, that his ki- contract would go to 30% of the cap. And no, we don't know exactly what the cap will look like, but the rough estimates put that at worth about $260 million, a difference of roughly $53 million over that stretch right there. So that is amazing. Um, In great incentive for him. The other thing, as I wrote at fieldhousefiles.com this week, is right now he's sidelined. He returned against Portland, played in Pascal Siakam's debut. But then Rick Carlisle saying that the medical training staff led by Josh Corbeil did not like how his body re- responded to that. And I'm not exactly sure why he returned other than he probably felt good enough and got clearance from the medical staff. generally speaking here guys don't return within the uh, f- until at least two weeks. that's what Jeff Stotts told us on the last podcast his data which go back at least a decade plus is that the average player takes about 13 days, misses five six games at least. and so you, you know you worry just especially with this contract thing hanging in the balance for the rest of this season is that did he push himself? Did he rush himself back Um, for a multitude of reasons? One, he wanted to play with Pascal. One, the team was losing, and he wanted to be back out there. Also, he's a basketball junkie, and if there's a game, he wants to be out there just like Buddy Heald, but hamstrings are finicky. They linger. They are a challenge, and so it's quite. this is clear just for anyone that's dealing with this. This is going to be an injury that's going to be with him for the rest of the year. Uh, it does not just go away because of a week and a half rest, two weeks rest, a month's rest, just because the All-Star break, which won't be much of a break for him coming up. Uh, he really will need an off season, a first month, say, to rest it and um, not take, not get the strenuous activity that playing basketball requires. And I thought late in that Portland game especially, you could see him grimace. You could see him get uncomfortable. You could see him... Not quite get into the, the jab, hesitation, drop back step like he was so adapt and comfortable in doing. And I think that's a direct reflection of this left hamstring injury. And the team and him are, are definitely fortunate that it is not worse. They've all come out and said that. In fact, Tyrese, during an ESPN Plus interview while uh, he stayed behind in Utah last week to attend the Iowa State game, said, hey, look, I dodged a big bullet here. Uh, very happy. Um, he said, and that he planned to play in a couple of days. Well, that turned out to be true. He didn't play the day before in Sacramento like I think he would have wanted. His former team, his former fan base, the team that drafted him, so many fam- or friends, I should say, still on that roster, that coaching staff, etc. Um, but that was a back-to-back for one, and Pascal didn't play in that one. I think it was, again, for a multitude of reasons, he pushed it and tried to come back, and clearly... You know, Did not respond well enough, so he's out for at least then the next three games. We'll see what he looks like coming up for Sunday against Memphis. Uh, I think a key date will be next week against Boston to keep an eye on that he hopes to be at least back for as well. But Tyrese, a special night Thursday, no doubt about that. And to be able to celebrate that night, minutes after, in front of your fan base and be presented your jersey like he was. And by the way, uh, Eastern Conference team, Will wear a blue, uh, kind of pinstripe. Um, it was inspired a little bit by the '90s Pacer pinstripes, which are among my favorites, for sure, within the Pacers' history. The warmups. Oh, by the way, the Western Conference team will be- wear a dark red color. They haven't mentioned it, uh, but I kind of see it as resembling ABA colors with the the blue. Red and and some white trim within there. The warm-up jacket inspired by Hoosiers. I don't like the split of colors. It looks like those ugly split jerseys from that standpoint. But I get it, because both teams will be wearing it. One team that, one team the other. Uh, They're going back to the Eastern versus Western Conference, which I like, rather than the drafting, just because of the, the message that the drafting sent of the unseriousness and also the delay that took. I mean, that took like an hour and then there was a performance of an artist, and then they got back out there for warmups. It delayed everything. It made it feel like more entertainment and a production rather than a game. And so in a game that at the All-Stars that they're trying to make matter, to make relevant, that to make more than just dunks and three-pointers, that's a s- step forward. And uh, they also got rid of kind of the Elamending score as well. I think that was complicated for your casuals. NBA fans and, and such could pick onto that rather quickly but an all-star game is more in general about entertainment so you don't want to uh, make it even more confusing for the fans and I thought that also felt a little gimmicky though it was an experiment and we do see it in the G League today in fact this week the Mad Ants defeated Capital City Go-Go in overtime with the elim ending so there is that practical use as well Um, but Yeah, very cool for Tyrese to be named an all-star starter. Will be celebrated. It's huge, certainly, for this franchise and really for the city and the host committee to have one of your own in the starting lineup and one of the faces because, like, already uh, there's all kinds of billboards, graphics going up. You're going to see Tyrese on the side of the JW Marriott downtown. He becomes the first individual that is up there previously, right? We've seen trophies, and the NCAA bracket, and Super Bowl logos, and things like that. We have not seen individuals until now. Tyrese is that, and uh, I mean, what an honor for him. What a year for him, right? If you take, say, the last 12 months, becoming a first-time All-Star, helping the Pacers and this rebuild that they are still on, in signing a max rookie deal, in playing with Team USA, this week also being named to the player pool, basically the players, 41 guys at least, that will be considered for the Paris Olympics coming up this summer. Then being named not just an All-Star, but an All-Star starter. And that after helping to lead the Pacers to Vegas in the in-season tournament championship against the Lakers. My goodness, like it, this this has to be a world one. I think he'll do some reflecting next month, not just because of the All-Stars, but also because of the fact... That it's his birthday and he'll be turning 24 and not even on his second NBA deal yet. And in the last year and a half especially with the Pacers, he has accomplished so much and aspires to do a lot more here. Um, and I think you'll see that and him out in the community even more uh, when in upcoming months. And I think you'll also continue to see him influence others wanting to play here, with, wanting to stay here, things like that. Because there's no doubt that the Pacers landing Pascal Siakam is a direct reflection of them having Tyrese already on the roster. So the Pacers went two and four on that road trip, and as part of that, on one of the on the game there in Portland, we saw the first look of what it could be. Although this is what bothers me is over the last week, you've heard a lot of fans criticize the team of. You know, they're winless with Pascal out there. Well, keep in mind, the number one guard in the Eastern Conference right now is out in Tyrese, and he'll be out at least another game. But beyond that, uh, he sets the tone. He's the engine. He's the heart and soul of this team. So this team already looks and feels very different when Tyrese isn't out there. You add into that the fact that he literally landed in Portland less than 24 hours before the game, didn't even get a walkthrough with the team beforehand you could see him in a photo uh, by the team you know watching computer and presumably watching film trying to get up to speed as quickly as he could about the team and the way in which they run but as i even explained in several radio hits this week on 1075 the fan who i work with is the fact that the way in which the pacers play offense isn't as simple as you know maybe others out there because so much of it is read react instinctive concepts rather than plays especially when Tyrese is out there there's a manner in which they want to play and what they are looking for and things they want to emphasize and again so much of that is a feel you get that feel through continuity through chemistry through playing with one another through having a training camp with those teammates and so both every everyone involved here has to adapt. That includes the coaching staff to call his number and get him started, get him some touch, especially here in the first couple of weeks. But more than that, know where to be, where not to be, how to get the correct spacing out on the floor, uh, what he likes. Players need to learn, you know, how about his mid-range game and where he likes it. Does he want the left side, the right side, 8 feet out, 17 feet out, little things, you get it, I get it. And so those are the things that I think will really be emphasized and a key point over these next three weeks leading in to the All-Star break. But he did have a very special game uh, this week against uh, the Philadelphia 76ers when he turned in 22.7 rebounds and five assists. And so, I mean, my goodness, what a what a performance by him in helping the Pacers beat the undermanned 76ers. And uh, I do, before we get to those games, let me touch back on that trait. Pacers have been bet after Pascal Siakam for nearly a year. I wrote about it back in July when talking with people out in Summer League and, and elsewhere that their interest is very real. That's what I tried to stress to subscribers at Fieldhouse Files. Is This is not just a random report of Pacers looking into, no, they would love Pascal Siakam. They also wanted OG Ananobi. And from what I was told, they were in it until the very end, And ultimately, Masai Ujiri, the executive with the Raptors, said and quickly made up his mind, New York. I want the New York package. I want guys that can carry on, not just draft picks. Whereas, obviously, with this deal with the Raptors for Pascal Siakam, it mostly centered around three future first-round picks. Yes, it was Bruce Brown, and that made a lot of sense. Bruce Brown signed that a stunningly high contract, but written all over it essentially to me was tradability, meaning at the trade deadline, somebody's going to want him and this is really going to help facilitate a deal, especially the fact that year two was a team option. Basically means you can avoid it. You don't need to pay him $23 million. Basically makes it an expiring contract after this year for $22 million. It's uh, the highest I knew about for him in the offseason was in the range of about $15 million. Pacers offered... 22. Yeah, it's one of those situations where Bruce couldn't even lie. Why do you sign with the Pacers? They offered clearly the most money, wanted me, and gave him an increased role. He was a reserve. He was the sixth man with the Denver Nuggets and loved his situation last year. Just one year in Denver, but on this recent road trip, last game with the Pacers, you could just see how beloved he was in Denver, and obviously there's the high and the feelings of that that come with winning a championship. But Bruce fit in there. He, He... he he knew his role, excelled, but he was also getting like 6 million for that year. Changes your mindset and you're thinking of things, right? When with the Pacers, he was a starter and they minimized kind of what they asked of him. Um I know that was a little bit frustrating for him and you know, hey, go in the kind of have the George Hill rule. Hey, defend, take on opposing players and you know, maybe stand in the corner and be ready to knock down threes. A little bit. Uh, So Bruce Brown was the headliner in that deal going out, along with Jordan Wara, who's out of the rotation and would be even more so. When you bring in someone like Siakam, who's a starter, an all-star caliber player, and beyond that, he literally plays the same position and furthers the depth there. Wara would have been at least fourth, maybe fifth on the depth chart when you factor in other guys like Aaron Niesmith, Obi Toppin, Jairus Walker. Um, Jairus Walker doesn't even get in at the end of the Philadelphia game when... Joel Embiid, Tyra Maxey don't even play in the fourth quarter because the Pacers had a 20-plus point lead. Patience is key for Jairus Walker, by the way, a little aside there. But uh, deep in the weeds a little bit here, if you care, how the Pacers constructed this deal was they also needed to match the money. And to do so, they acquired Catra Lewis Jr. And notably, he's represented by some of the same uh, agents involved in the deal. And so it makes that kind of easy. He was on... A deal that made it possible so technically the Pacers waived James Johnson to clear a roster spot James has the setup man he signed with the team four times over the last year and each time he signs he gets more money like last year at the trade deadline had to be waived so Jordan Wora, George Hill and that deal could go down they re-signed him right after he cleared waivers Well, this time they waived him, then a couple days later, signed him to a 10-day contract to maintain the flexibility. They can sign him to another one before having to sign him for the rest of the season, which at this point they plan to do. But they acquired Kyra Kyra Lewis and then sent, um, and by the way, sent cash to kind of facilitate that. They also got a second-round pick for this upcoming year for doing so because it helped New Orleans books, by the way. There's always an advantage for these teams. That was their incentive by moving off them, they save money on the tax, which is a big deal for a team, any team, especially one like them who are not cons- contenders. But in all this, if you're the Pacers, number one, you gotta like the guy and his his talents, and obviously you can see why if you've watched the last four games or so here. But more than that, you gotta realize why is Toronto moving on. Well, one, they're kind of rebuilding here. We've been wondering what they're doing over the last couple of years. Uh, Masai Ujiri, very quiet. Um, goes about his business in a much different way, I think, than many executives out there. That it's hard to read and get a feel for it. OG was clearly uh, signaled as the first player that would be moved and available. And he just decided, hey, we're going to New York. And so that's the deal they made moving OG, who the Pacers wanted, to the New York Knicks. Which makes a lot of sense. OG changed his agents like six months ago to CAA. And CAA has a heavy impact on the New York Knicks if you look at up and down their roster and who fits in there. So Siakam will turn 30 in April. Multi-time All-Star. A two-way player. He's that archetype that every team needs and can't have enough of elite talent at that position. That 6'8 forward. So good at what he does. Um, he can knock down the three-point shot. Deadly in the mid-range. He's one of those players like Chris Paul. Um, like Damanis Sabonis who loves the mid-range. Loves the 15-footer. And what he should do is not not just elevate the team's floor, but also elevate the team's ceiling. And so that's more so what it's about here. It gives them another star out on the wing. And so that should help shoulder the load with Ty and without, like right now. Um, but being in the final year of the contract, you can't talk about the future officially. Uh, <laughs> you can't. You can kind of. Uh, there's other ways to go about it here. But. Both sides, I can tell you, are confident that they can figure it out, that they are on the same page, and that's important because in talking with individuals connected with Pascal um, personally and privately, it's very clear that his relationship with Toronto had evaporated. It, It deteriorated a great deal over the last year plus, and that he's quite frankly ready to be embraced and his talents maximized rather than um, Toronto focusing on Scotty Barnes. Like, I think Pascal really took it to heart and of note that in their new head coach's passionate plea that got him ultimately fined by the league after what he said and, and went after officials here, is he say, "Hey, look, Scotty Barnes is a superstar in this league. He is our guy." And Pascal's like, "Hey, look, I've a, I've got higher accolades. I've done more." all right, I'm clearly not in your plans, and that was not a final straw or anything like that. I think it was just another indication of, yeah, this relationship has expired. And on the other side of that enters the Pacers, and the Pacers have to go above and beyond to take care of relationships like this, to make players feel welcome, to make players feel embraced and feel part of it. And that's why Karen Atkinson and, and Michael Hornback and Jasmine Smiths do a great job in player relations of making it a family atmosphere and, and having the family room on game nights and having, uh, you know, let's call it family nights outside for the wives and girlfriends where maybe they're getting together for a Christmas party or going out and, and doing an event. There's little things like that behind the scenes you don't even know about that those individuals do to try to help in other aspects, in the little things in making individuals feel welcome. And so far, the Pacers absolutely had. We saw video the Pacers shared of a couple executives right there on the tarmac when Pascal Siakam arrived on the private charter flight. It was Chad Buchanan, the general manager, and Ted Wu, uh, one of the VPs there, uh, who, by the way, used to – who wrote the collective bargaining agreement previously, a huge asset – uh, for this Pacers front office that you don't hear enough about, um, that sh- definitely should get his due and his contributions. Kelly Kroskoff, the assistant GM, also part part of that front office that is overseen by Kevin Pritchard. But uh, you you brought in Pascal Siakam. They were able to spend a full day with him initially here in Indianapolis. Uh, first of all, they were very thorough. In their medical testing, getting MRIs in multiple spots, checking out his, his legs and knees and, and previous discussions of, of things. Uh, that's an exhausting process, especially just the MRIs. I've never gotten one, but as it's been told to me, you just go in and depending on the, the positioning, you might sit for each one. That's 30, 40 minutes. Um, it's exhausting. And so, plus the newness and still the sticker shock, I think he expected to be moved, but when and where. You don't necessarily know until it gets to the final end there. So then it, it then he got a workout in, and then he boarded a flight that night to meet the team in Portland after their game in, in Sacramento. They flew to Portland. He met them there in Portland after midnight and probably didn't sleep well. <laughs> you're trying to figure out how you get moved, how you get all your stuff, what to pack. Uh, right now, uh, you're living out of a hotel, one, because it's in season, and two, it's Right now, until there's a new contract signed, it's a short-term thing. That's how you have to look at it from a functional standpoint and a living standpoint before you have that signature on a long-term contract that could look um, very nicely for him, let's say, coming up this summer. Because in acquiring him, the Pacers are able to maintain his bird rights. What that means is they can offer him a deal that is longer and for more guaranteed money right now, meaning July 1, than any other team out there. Other teams can only offer him a four-year deal. The Pacers can offer him one more year. That's the bird rights aspect. So they can offer him five years and up to about $250 million. I think the last figure I saw was $247 million. That's estimates, again, because we don't know exactly what the cap number will look like even for next year just yet until the fiscal year ends at the end of June. But that's the payday he's in, and, and by moving him, Toronto clearly signals We weren't going to pay you that, and so we want to get something for an asset that we were going to lose anyway who would have left in free agency. And thus far, generally here, the Pacers have not been able to acquire good talent in free agency. Not even all-star talent, certainly not good talent. And so I still go on the basis that David West is the best free agent they've ever acquired Part of that was his situation, he was coming off an ACL injury, Boston offered slightly more money, he chose the situation and what the Pacers were doing here with Roy, with George Hill, with PG, and nearly got to the NBA Finals, just got to the Conference Finals back-to-back years, which is still a huge accomplishment. In fact, the Pacers haven't uh, haven't won a playoff series since 2014 with that group, and what a fun group that was. I could do many podcasts about that unique group and coaching staff as a whole. And notable, too, because as I'm recording this Friday morning, Frank Vogel's in town. Uh, <laughs> former Pacers coach. And uh, he was kind of the, one of the first coaches, head coaches I've dealt with while on the beat back in 2012. He was an uh, assistant coach before that, back when I was working for the team as a locker room attendant and such. And he was so great. Really enjoyed our time together and was able to connect with him last, back in Vegas at Summer League, doing well. He interviewed for many different jobs. Man, I've gone on a tangent here. I have, certainly. A lot of good memories come pouring in when you think about Frank Vogel and that previous staff. I think about Popeye Jones, who was here this past week with Denver, and I was disappointed that I didn't see anyone. And the broadcast didn't even mention him, at least that I saw. Uh, Popeye Jones, Justin Holiday being back in town with Denver, and those those individuals, plus Frank Vogel, instrumental in the past, which has allowed for this present uh, Pacers success uh, right now. But a little bit more on Pascal Siakam. I'm going a little bit longer on this podcast than I wanted, but there is so much to cover, so much more that I'll get to on FieldhouseFiles.com as well, so subscribe there if you are not there yet. But... Uh, Many things have factored in here. First of all, his relationship with Tyrese. That goes back, really, to the All-Star game last year, conveniently. And by the way, Siakam was made aware that Carlisle was a big fan of his, so much so that he voted for Siakam to be an All-Star reserve, and that meant something to Pascal. Also, he's excited to play for what seems to be and will be a Hall of Fame coach in Rick Carlisle, and a guy that's really deep and, and uh, big on X's and O's and knows the game oh so well. He was with a rookie head coach this past year. Carlisle, very different than that. He's been in, around the block and been in the league, both as a player and coach, for decades. Back to the, what, 80s with Boston Celtics. And so that was something that excited him. Also, I'm sure I've talked about it in the past. I know for sure here is back when Miles Turner kind of lived indefinitely in the trade rumors. One of the teams that was interested in him was Toronto. They needed a center, wanted a center, among the half-dozen-plus teams, and that was in large part, too, because Pascal really liked his game and thought they would complement each other well. The other thing here is the the mutual relationship with Rico Hines, an assistant now for the 76ers, so they were all kind of able to be together this week in Indianapolis briefly. But Rico, big, big relationship with Tyrese and quality one with Pascal as well. Those two got in touch in large part because of Rico and, and thought highly of each other. And The other thing is the Pacers' belief in what Pascal can can do and has done means a lot for him. He thinks he can be better utilized and featured more so with the Pacers and embraced. And so all those, among many factors, are why now he's with the Pacers and they were willing to offer so much to go get a guy who will become a free agent this summer. Why, why would you go get him? Won the bird rights right now? Going into free agency, it demonstrates how much you want him. And also, it's easy to remember, too, is that gives you the upper hand to re-sign him in the summer. Because remember Paul George? He basically all but made public by himself that he wanted to be a Los Angeles Laker. Wanted to be moved from the Pacers to the Lakers. I mean, he, he signaled that, essentially. Lakers knew he was going to be a free agent, so they didn't even go after him. Didn't try to make a deal. Well, guess what? PG was swayed and re-signed in Oklahoma City after being dealt there. Ultimately, deciding, hey, you know what? You guys didn't want me then. I'm just gonna stay here. That that to me is notable and something the Pacers had to be uh, alert to. I think, but um, I thought it was hilarious too. By the way, how it was Pascal Siakam, a champion. He won a title, one title in Toronto being traded for a couple others, most notably Bruce Brown, who won last year, but Jordan Wara was on roster with the Milwaukee Bucks when Giannis won them to a t- title several years ago. I think that wraps up uh, what I wanted to say about Pascal, at least here in the short term. Really uh, great personality, great human so far, and what I have seen and been told about what he is like, I think he's trying to keep his focus on the present and right now and getting to the All-Star break and... Getting accustomed to this team and this roster and what they can do together, uh, but you can't help if you're him. But think about that payday that's set to come in early July in free agency. A couple things about the Pacers here is we've now crossed the midway point of the season. They're coming off that really difficult road trip out west, two and six. You would have liked to get at least three wins out there, certainly. But as I record this, they're above five hundred. They're twenty five and twenty. Um, 500 record on the road, 11-11, and 11, which is good. You want to be about 500 or better um, reasonably out there. And they're six in the Eastern Conference. I think they could potentially jump Cleveland, maybe New York. Really could use Tyrese back, and we'll see what he looks like um, before you can kind of project what they could look like. But um, Tyrese is just so, so critical to this team. And I did like, by the way, how Thursday night after being named an All-Star starter. I felt a genuine tweet here. So much of social media is a little bit robotic. So much of it, too, you may not know this, but most many players don't even run their own account. Benedict Matherin admitted to it. Uh, I remember him his rookie year at Summer League was asked about a picture he posted. He was like, you know what, actually, (laughs) I don't even run my account. That's uh, by my agency. Well, you can tell in this post by Tyrese it was late. Thursday, gotta believe he was at his home and kind of reflecting on the day. He couldn't be out there with his team, but they won against Philly and he was named an all star starter. A kid from Milwaukee, a thin guy who has an awkward shot that gets criticized a lot for many things like that. And he's, and I'm reading here now from Twitter, I'm an all star starter, man. Been sitting here th- soaking this in like damn. I wasn't supposed to be here, but I put in the work and it was written. To my peers, the media, and the fans, this can't happen without y'all. Look forward to putting on another show in Indy. In the quote there. And uh, like Kevin Durant, which I thought was notable, I thought that was really respectable by Tyrese to also thank the three parties involved to get them to this point. Because without fellow teammates, the fans, and media that were voters in all of this, he would not be a starter. So I thought that was cool. It was so genuine. And on a level in which sometimes players lose touch with common folk and the fans and those that pay big money to watch them night in and night out. So props to Tyrese. Lastly, on the all-star thing I want to mention, um, one of my favorite things, traditions, is to look about how many uh, Pacers got votes in all this from the players because that can kind of be laughable here. Halliburton got 133 player votes, number one. Siakam got 21. And then from there, about a half dozen players got at least one vote, including Jerris Walker got one. Oscar Shibwe got one. How about uh, Isaiah Jackson getting four or Jalen Smith getting six? That's why it's a good thing that the players don't have the full vote, uh, just that it counts for 25%. There's no perfect method. I'd be happier if media was not involved in the vote, Vote, but I don't think there's a better option there. That's why they're kind of combining everything. The All-Star Game is about the fans. It's for the fans. So they have half the vote. Uh, Players should have a say. They know the game better than most. They're involved in it. They know who's on the scouting reports, but they also do favors. And that's for their teammates. That's for their friends in the league. That's for players in their agency, things like that. And so uh, they can't be constrained to it as well. Uh, Let's talk a couple things big picture as it pertains to uh, where the Pacers are currently at right now and I broke down some stats from the last 15 games to get a smaller picture in the big picture though of what's gone on with the Pacers we talked about their historic offense and how they were just an incredible watch well they've they've accepted that's not going to win as many games that's not going to have long-term success it's going to get them in the record books it's going to make for a fun watch It'll certainly make for record-breaking stats night in and night out, but it's not going to win you as many games. And so they had that big, important practice, which is a rarity. I think they've practiced like three times in the last month unofficially by my count, including earlier this week leading to Pascal's big game. Um, they were able to practice on Wednesday, and I think that's a big, big deal. But uh, over this you know, 45 games here, let's condense it into the last 15. They're fourth in points. Remember, they were one, number one for most of the year. About 122 per game. That's behind Utah, Milwaukee, and Oklahoma City. But instead of being one of the worst teams defensively, 26, 27th, like they were for much of the season, at least until mid-December, get this, over the last 15 games, they're just about average. And that is plenty good enough. That's what I've been stressing. They don't have to be elite or all-time. Just be not awful, not an embarrassment. Um, and they haven't been the last month. And that's also when we've seen their schedule increase. They've played Phoenix. They've played Denver. They've played Milwaukee and Boston multiple times. So over the last 15 games, their defensive rating is 17. They're 19th in points allowed. That's 119 per game. And earlier when they were scoring so many points, they were their differential was worse. They were giving up, on average, more points than they had scored. That's not the case now. Right now, they're plus three on average. Per game. That's a huge positive in what they're getting accomplished, and I think they've thrown out and not emphasizing and stressing some of the early concepts that were the focal point during training camp, some of which is um, not allowing threes. Now that now that's somewhat acceptable. Uh, it's how they defend two-on-two. Two. Now there's more help, especially with a third defender off ball rather than staying with your man and saying, hey, no, you two got it. They're bringing additional help. They're bring sending a double. For those elite stars. I still remember early on. A game that pops out to me is Charlotte. When Gordon Hayward was (laughs) just stunned. Like Benedict Matherin was defending him. And they didn't send help. And he just went back to the basket against Matherin. Like four possessions in a row. Finished with 20 some points. And had a great game. And I think was a win. And Pacers didn't send help. He couldn't figure it out. But that's the way in which the Pacers play. Well they've adapted from that. That's one of the ways they've done so. They do need to. Stay fast. They still need to be successful in transition and get stops and race ahead. That's one of their key assets. That's one of their differentiators. And I thought they did a much better job about that and many other things against Philly. Philly was undermanned, though. I mean, uh, they were without five, six players. The Pacers were without Halliburton. Um, But the Pacers took advantage and won wire to wire. Did not trail in that game, which is huge. I liked what I saw from Ben Shepard. I wrote about it at FieldhouseFiles.com. I also wrote about Jairus Walker, who contributed on this last road trip uh, when he got more minutes and, and the way in which he's grown his game in about eight months. It starts with his shot. Start, then it goes to his decision-making. It goes to his vision and the way in which he looks for teammates. There's a lot to like about Jerris's game. Yet on the other side of that, there's many ways he needs to improve, and that starts with his decision-making, with his gambles, about how he's risky defensively, um, and breaking bad habits that he established in previous years, where he was always the best player on the court, or with Houston, where they were, he even told me, where they were a gamble-heavy uh, team. And you can take risks like that in college game, which is slower and not nearly as good of players, those sorts of things. So it's breaking new habits, learning new ones, being persistent, Having that motivation to play night and night, or be ready, I should say, and get your work in day in and day out, even though you don't know if you're playing this uh, this game or even this week. I can't imagine what that's like for a you know 19 year old like him. Um, but you know he's working on it, having to deal with it and adapt. And those are all the uh, some of the many things that you learn as a rookie in this league. In addition to just different things, what travels like, how you take care of your body, what you eat. How you set a routine, how you get your work in, how you not just watch film and how often, but how you functionally watch it and break it down. Jairus works a ton with top assistant Lloyd Pierce, Ben Shepard, a lot with player development coach Gennaro Pargo, as I referenced in my story. And what I loved about Shepard and continue to like about him, what we saw going back to training camp. And summer league is, is his motor. And that's what Tom Hankins, Mad Ants head coach, told me this week. His motor is the best thing. Sometimes he even needs to slow it down a little bit or be more decisive and accountable in what he's doing. But, uh, man, you, you can't have enough of guys like that who are full steam ahead, who bring it every night. It's a guy that plays similarly from an energy and um, burst of energy standpoint like a TJ McConnell. So a uh, highlight for him, and now he you know, he got in right off the bench against Philly, one of the first guys off the bench, because, to overuse a phrase that we've heard a lot from the Pacers this season, is he's earned it. One of the last things I want to touch on is something directly impacting all of the Pacers sports and entertainment brand, and that's CEO. Rick Fusen officially retiring after this year. Kind of felt that it was headed this way. I remember talking to him at All-Star Weekend last year, and I was like, hey, Rick, uh, do you kind of view this All-Star Weekend coming up next February, meaning in a few weeks now, um, as your last hurrah, as your kind of legacy, your last statement? He was like, I don't want to talk legacy. This is all about Indy, and I think that's fair because that's what he has been about. It's about bettering the Pacers, about bettering Central Indiana and Indianapolis, and... Indianapolis's sports scene. So he'll officially retire on June 18th, and it is so fitting that he came in with Indianapolis's first All Star game in 1985, hired in '84, was kind of director of events for that, helped put that on, which is over at the Hoosier Dome. And now, in his last year, you know, six months left on the job officially, he'll stay on as an advisor to Herb Simon because those two have worked hand in hand really. Since Simon has nearly owned the team, Herb and Mel bought it in 1983. And I just said Fusen came on in 84. So they've been hand in hand almost throughout. And by the way, Steven Rails, I thought it was notable. He was at the last Pacers game. He's that minority owner, owns 20% of the team, but he's been more visible. Uh, around the team so I did want to mention that but here's a statement from Herb Simon in the announcement this week quote nobody cares more deeply for this company our people or this city than Rick and that above all is what has made him such a transformed transformational leader and effective advocate for four decades Rick rose through the company approached every role with enthusiasm and loyalty and grew into one of the very best in this industry and I'm very or I am so proud of him and so grateful for his years of incredible work and friendship, end quote. So that was Herb Simon about Rick Fuston, who have been partner in business for nearly 40 years. Um, one thing that stands out to me is how the ps umbrella has really grown. Back then, it was just the Pacers. Now, it's many. They created the fever in the WNBA and won a WNBA championship in 2012 that I was fortunate to be part of. Behind the scenes, they purchased the Mad Ants in 2015. They established Pacers Gaming of the NBA 2K League, the, NBA, the Pacers Foundation, which he has, I think, served on as a president of the board previously. He, you know, that's done so many great things and donated millions to needy organizations in town. Um, helped bring the All Star Game here. Oversaw a a, long, a large part with Mel Rains, who will succeed him. Over 400 million. Dollars in renovations to the Fieldhouse. And I guess even before that, how about the establishment and creation of what then was Conseco Fieldhouse back in 1999? Now, 20 years uh, later, the renovations and such, and now we're almost approaching the point where Marcus Square Arena was torn down. The Fieldhouse feel like it just got the touch-up it needed to go on another 15-plus years. And uh, they have the new renaming rights that were added a couple of years ago Moving on from the Canseco Bankers life, um, now into the Gamebridge years for a couple of years. And so many different things have gone on there. And he's always been truly professional, helpful, and um, honest in my dealings with him. So I'm really appreciative of that. He values media. He values fair and honest coverage and those that are around every single day. So I appreciate him. I will never forget a time where I tweeted how I wouldn't be at a game during the pandemic. I had come down with COVID, so I was out indefinitely, which turned out to be two or three games. And I got a nice little message from him. Hey, we'll miss you, get healthy, and we'll see you soon. And, I mean, what, a CEO of a company? Me? Who am I, right? And for him to take time to do that, I will never forget that. And so, um, yeah, this this is going to be a changing of a guard here from Rick Fusen. To Mel Rains, who will now succeed him. She's been with the company for approaching a decade. She will be promoted to CEO. And in addition to that, Todd Taylor uh, being promoted. He's had a huge role in this franchise since 2011. Um, a lot in initially dealing with marketing and um, branding and partnerships and all that. Now it's kind of overseeing all the business side. Of it, and that's Todd Taylor will be the president of business operations. He's been with the company since 2011, so uh, it's kind of the Mel Reigns Todd Taylor show. But there's so many uh, individuals over there that help contribute, hundreds of employees. And Rick Fusen, again will stay on and his visor, um, which I think is a cool thing. Much like Larry Bird uh, can be as president as as he wants, but more than anything, is a phone call away and can be around. I'm not sure what Rick Fusen is going to do next, because he's always involved in something, or at least has been. Maybe he'll break off to the beach. I don't know him to be a golfer. Maybe uh, he's willing to spend more time on the golf course or something. Uh, But he was so integral in not just the Pacers, but Indiana Sports Corp in his previous roles. Um, That was in addition to the Pacers, by the way, not instead of. Uh, That was a leadership position in helping, for example, during the pandemic to make sure the NCAA tournament in 2021 happened. And it all happened right here in central Indiana, which was incredible execution from the field house to the convention center, the hot hotels, hospitality in the Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, so many things, Big Ten tournaments, um, swimming championships, all those different things. That's Rick Fusen. He's He's got individu- individuals that certainly help him put these events on, but he's the final say, and it's through his leadership and it's through his relationships that so many of those things happen. Now, uh, the Pacers put out a big press release uh, about this and what's what will happen. I wanted to talk with someone outside the organization who had dealt with Rick and seen his leadership and seen his impact on the city. So, I called up Ryan Vaughn. Ryan Vaughn used to be the president of the Indiana Sports Corp. And now he works for a different company. Company, But I wanted to have a conversation and get Ryan to reflect on Rick as a leader and what the Pacers will be losing and maybe what Rick could get into. Uh, I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, Be very curious in the post Pacers life. So here's my conversation with Ryan Vaughn. Ryan, I guess I'm first curious, just kind of your reaction to Rick announcing his retirement. It seems like a fitting time after an All-Star game and after 40 years at PS&E.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, those of us that had the uh, privilege of working with him, especially over the last four or five years, kind of knew that, you know, one of his first events ever was the uh, All-Star Game um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and back in the 80s, and, and uh, that this was probably going to be uh, one of his last. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's been working, working his tail off for, like you said, nearly 40 years or more than 40 years for the city, and uh, I'm glad to see this be the event that uh, he, you know, chooses to crown his career
0: with one thing people may not know is he had a quite an involvement with the sports corp which you obviously were the president of the uh, he was the immediate past chair how would you best describe kind of rick's influence on what the indie sports scene has become and continuously getting events and also uh, the elevation with facilities and georgia street and all those different things that it entails
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Rick's impact on the Sports Corp goes far beyond his just most recent term as as board chair and now serving as immediate past chair. I mean, Rick was there really kind of from the beginning, um, helping all kinds of events that uh, the Sports Corp and the city put on. In fact, uh, when I came on as the president of Sports Corp, uh, Rick had already been nominated a lifetime member of the board. And (laughs) we had to have him (laughs) kind of step away from that uh, quasi-retirement acknowledgement and come back and serve as president which he willingly did and um and it couldn't have been a more perfect person at uh, a more perfect time i mean without his experience and connections particularly in basketball and with the ncaa and his history there um there's no way we would have been able to successfully pull off things like hosting the entire tournament i mean his his, uh, connection to all the facilities that we were Having those games in his um, connection to the NCAA and all the leadership there, and the coaches, and the committee members, um, his you know connection and reputation with the city, uh, all of that was uh, you know absolutely critical for our success, and um, you know we owe him a debt of gratitude for it.
0: What stood out to you, just kind of in your interactions, or had maybe his love for the the franchise and the city, a local guy, and how that maybe kind of exuded um, from him as you guys tried to get things, get events, check things off, make things happen that never had before here in this city?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, anyone who has worked with him knows he's just super passionate and, and energetic. Um, I mean, when he puts his mind to something, um, he really has the, the, the capacity to, you know, rally people and to aggressively pursue them. Um, and also with, a, I think, a justifiable kind of chip on his shoulder uh in a small market to say hey there's nothing that um we can't do as you know even even as a, a city like indianapolis i don't care what new york la dallas you know these larger cities may think they can do we can do those events bigger and better and now, I mean,
0: what can you imagine his life will be like? Like this has been his life for the next, for the last forty years. Won't it be a little bit weird to not him have him in at meetings and and those sorts of things? Maybe for city leaders here. After all he's done.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, he runs hundred miles an hour You're right all the time. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, we'll see. I guess it's, it's sort of like he says that he's uh, he's out and he's officially going to retire and you know enjoy some some downtime but uh i don't know that i fully trust that i think you know he's 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 a man that uh likes to be busy likes to be engaged he could prove me wrong he might be done Mm -hmm. um for good but uh yeah he's i I think there'll definitely be a change of lifestyle for sure
0: you have any last thing do you have any involvement coming up here with the all-star game or you kind of just kind of hands off and we'll soak it in
1: and enjoy it as a fan Yeah, no, they were kind enough after I left the Indiana Sports Corp to continue to allow me to serve on the local organizing committee. So Excellent. um, You know, I am doing some of the volunteer activities. You know, we're going to pack all those meals and uh, certainly going to, you know, bring my wife and friends down and enjoy a lot lot of the, whether they're games or concerts or art shows. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, it's been fun. Most of my uh, activities around – Uh, The All-Star Game were really kind of focused on the front end. They were all those community impact projects, all those rising stars evaluations and nominations, and it's fun to see those celebrated um, this coming month. All right, to wrap things up, just a couple more things I want to touch on. One,
0: during the Pacers' road trip, a very special honor for Benedict Matherin, and I thought it was cool how Rick Carlisle made sure the whole team Flew directly to Tucson to get Benedict Matherin there to allow for the coaches, most of the staff members and his teammates, about a half dozen of them at least, to attend a ceremony at the University of Arizona because a couple years ago, Matherin was the Pac-12 player of the year, which gives him automatic entrance into the Athletics Ring of Honor there. So he was celebrated there over their win over UCLA there at halftime. He didn't have to speak, but there's his name and everything's there up in the rafters, he was celebrated held a brief press conference which you can watch at FieldHouseFiles.com and thought it was very cool to see him celebrated and I'm sure he's kind of mild mannered but I think it was special for him to receive that honor and also to have him his sister Jen Matherin be there with him and enjoy that and fruits of his labor and getting to Arizona and all he had to overcome and get through to just get to that point secondly uh, the replica court at the airport, that has been a big hit. So I wanted to touch on that. I went out to the airport and was able to see it for myself. And unfortunately, at least right now, it's mostly just, just a representation of what's to come here. It's not an actual basketball court. It's a sticker. It's a vinyl, uh, that was put down there. So there's no depth to it. Uh, you can walk on it and take photos, all that, uh, the basketball, Goals are actual ones that came from the field house. The trouble is, there's a, a top on their lids, so you can't put shots up. It's not like there's a, a rack of balls you can go out there and put some shots up or anything. I suggested to him, "Hey, how about the week of the All Star Game? You make that happen, or you can, you know, uh, take a photo and put up a, a free throw or a layup." I don't think that'll happen, but I know they have heard all of that after photos have gone viral about that. So great job by Diana Boyce and all of the Mel Rains included, um, by the way, soon-to-be CEO of Pacers Sports Entertainment. Uh, She works a ton, and right now she's the president of the host committee for the All-Stars because, of course, she is, and that's why it's going to be a huge success as well. But um, I I like what I saw out there at the airport. It's going to continue to garner more attention as more and more Media and fans arrive at the airport. And also at, down at baggage claim, there's all kinds of graphics applied uh, of Tyrese Halliburton. There's Benedict Matherin, Giannis, Dame Lillard, LeBron, kind of plastered all over the um, return areas for where the luggage comes out for individuals. So that's something maybe you want to check out if you're near the airport or, or will be flying out or flying in here coming up soon. And lastly, commission row. A Herbert Simon project, um, a restaurant, a speakeasy, and a event space now open. They got it done in about a year. Well done by the management team over there, the construction crew, and the restaurant group, Cunningham. Mike Cunningham's group will run it. Um, it's It's a premium place, I will tell you that. The prices are high, but I think it's worth checking out at least once before a game. Maybe you check out Commission Row, the restaurant. Uh, certainly after a game, go over to the Speakeasy and get a drink. Uh, they are unique drinks, and that's why they are at a premium. They, I was talking to a couple bartenders there during the media event that was held a couple weeks ago, Preview. And they said they, were, they invested a lot in technology, which sounds weird for a bar, right? But uh, just even the Ice cubes say Mel's because it's Mel's Speakeasy. Just an incredible place, and I love the new spot. Uh, I know it's going to be a hit, and I think it really will be starting coming up in a few weeks at All-Star Week, and that's Herb Simon's project and in collaboration with the Cunningham Group. Yeah, if you know uh, Livery and I think Brewburger and many other places, get your VIP card, go over there, check it out, and uh, let me know what you think as well. All right, this podcast which much longer than I anticipated, but, man, did I have so much to cover. If you have any questions, you can always reach me on social media at FieldHouseFiles.com and a lot more. If you have not subscribed, do so now, at least on a free plan. Now, if you want all my coverage and access to every story I write directly sent to your inbox, you can subscribe there at FieldHouseFiles.com where I continue to put up work and will continue to do so. I have a lot of great things in store for All-Star Weekend. Uh, Added a photographer, was at the last Mad Ants game. He'll be there with me coming up on Saturday to provide you with even more. I'd hope to have him at Pacer Games, but that's complicated. A lot of resolutions that we need to get things right because things are not going well um, with some things behind the scenes. But I appreciate you listening to this podcast, the Fieldhouse Files. I love talking with you and trying to keep you best informed with all things going on with the Pacers and Pacers sports and entertainment. And coming up soon, maybe the Fever and Caitlin Clark. I know that's going to garner a lot of attention. But we have that's a long ways away. We have the rest of this Pacers season anticipating the playoffs and a lot more. Trade deadline coming up, by the way, February 8th. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers at least try to make at least one more move. We'll get into that and a lot more upcoming. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I'll talk to you again soon.